We are finishing up the sermon series in Jonah today. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And while you're turning there, I'd like to just share with you a few things that disgust me. Texting and driving disgusts me. The other day I was at a four-way stop and the person in front of me went and I looked around and nobody else was going and I looked back and forth and I waited and I waited and I waited and then finally I realized that everyone else at the four-way stop was on their phones and nobody was going to go. (laughs) I had a honk to wake everybody up. Texting and driving disgusts me. Another thing that disgusts me is junk mail. Junk mail is absolutely disgusting. I don't, I'm not Mr. Environmentalist by any means, but I can't believe that we're cutting down all the trees and creating this much garbage for no reason. Junk mail disgusts me. It's been a few years now, but the Iron Sheik disgusts me. What he did to Hulk Hogan in 1987 at Madison Square Garden, that display of shameful sportsmanship was disgusting. I haven't gotten, it over it, haven't gotten over it to this day. I'm glad that the Hulkster got his revenge at the Boston Garden in 1989. Disgusting. You might say that I'm easily disgusted, but I think there's actually a lot of legitimate things to be disgusted about. There's a lot of behaviors that disgust me, some of them mine, most of them yours. <laughs> and I'm sure we have that in common. It can be easily to be disgusted. And the last few years, I'm telling you, I have been so disgusted. Just so disgusted. I did not see most of this coming. The interesting thing is that when Goliath steps forward, David's not surprised. The rest of the Israelites' army is surprised. They're shaking in fear. But David's not surprised. David knows the enemy's going to step forward. He's surprised that nobody's stepped forward and taken out the giant. And for me, I've got to learn from that because whenever anything happens, I'm disgusted and I'm surprised and I'm shocked. But we have an enemy, he's going to step forward and it's easy to be disgusted by what he inspires us to do, what he inspires people to do. You may be disgusted as well as you look out in the world. Maybe people in your personal life, have done terrible things following Satan and it's disgusted you? Or maybe you've been deceived by Satan and you're disgusted at your own actions? It's easy to be disgusted. And honestly, God is disgusted as well. Here we're reading a story about Nineveh. It's a city of people that is, they're so immersed in their evil that they're about to receive God's judgment. A loving God will not let evil go on forever. And God looks down at the city and he says, it's so evil. This is so disgusting. I can't let this go on. It's hurting too many people. I need to judge this city and remove its presence from the earth. And God looks down and he is disgusted. And Jonah's disgusted. God tells Jonah to preach to Nineveh. And Jonah's disgusted at the people of Nineveh and their actions. The people of Nineveh, they were Jonah's enemy. They were Israel's enemy. In fact, in a a few generations, they're actually going to turn on Israel. They're going to enslave them. Jonah's descendants. Jonah's disgusted by these people and what they're doing. 
And the interesting thing is God and Jonah have completely different ways of dealing with this. Jonah's disgusted and he runs from these people. Get me away from them. God's got the complete opposite response. He says, Jonah, you need to go to these people. Jonah can't imagine heaven with these people. Get me out. I don't want to go to heaven with those people. God leaves heaven for these people. And he comes for them, and he comes for you, and he comes for me in Jesus Christ. He comes to us. And what is your response? When you look at the people in your life who need to know the Lord, do you have God's response for them? Or do you have Jonah's response for them? And this is something that I need to repent of and I need to pray for. I don't think I've ever had less love for my enemies than I have these last few years. We talked about calling out to God and we looked at how all the people in the book of Jonah cry out to the Lord at different points and we looked at the passion with which they cry out to the Lord and the situation that they're in as they cry out to God and we talked about what crying out to God looks like and I come in here on Saturday nights as I'm preparing, as I'm praying for the service and I try to get some passion for the lost but I'm more like Jonah. And I need to repent of that. You should see the passion with which I cry out for my own needs and wants and desires. Lord, help me to have this thing that I want. And uh, I suppose we should uh, reach some lost people. Jesus, we pray that you would move. And what is your passion for the lost? Are you disgusted by the people in your life? Do you cut them out of your life? Do you avoid them? And Jonah runs from this situation. And God humbles Jonah. At the beginning of the book, it looks to me like Jonah does not worship and love the Lord. I think this is a salvation issue. I don't know if I'm right or not, but as I read through the Bible, as I read through the book of Jonah, that's what it looks like. God commands Jonah. Jonah rebels against God. And then in chapter 2, because of Jonah's actions, God humbles Jonah to the point where he needs the Lord. Jonah's a person of Israel. He's a member of the people of God, people who thought that they were Following the Lord, as we read through the Old Testament, we find out it doesn't quite matter if you're a descendant of Abraham. The righteous shall live by faith, and the true people of God were always not the genetic descendants of Abraham, but the people who had their trust and faith in the Lord. And to me, it looks like Jonah didn't have that, and how easy it is to grow up in church and not have that. To me, it looks like Jonah's grown up in church. He's known the message of the Lord, but he's never felt like he needed the Lord personally, it looks like to me, because he doesn't seem to have a passion or an understanding for God's salvation. If we know God's salvation for us, we'll want to share that with others. Here, Jonah doesn't seem to want to follow the Lord, share his message. Doesn't seem like there's fruit of the Lord in Jonah's life. But in chapter two, God brings him to a point where he needs the Lord and he cries out to the Lord and he experiences the deliverance. 
And not just physical deliverance, but it looks like his spirit has changed as well. Because what does Jonah do? Well, he worships the Lord. That's what everybody does when they come to know the Lord. The sailors worship the Lord when they come to know him. When you come to know the Lord's salvation, you've got a reason to praise. You're different. You're changed. And Jonah's not just saved physically. He cries out with his spirit and praises the Lord. And he talks about how he has experienced salvation in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. So to me, verse 9, it looks like Jonah has been saved through this experience. God told Jonah to go preach to the people of Nineveh. Jonah rebelled, but God humbled him to the point where Jonah needed the Lord. He cried out. The Lord delivered him. He saved him. And now Jonah's got a love for the Lord as expressed by this beautiful song that he sings to the Lord in Jonah chapter 2. And out of his love for the Lord now, Jonah responds to God's commands. He does what he couldn't have imagined himself doing before. Before he was so disgusted at the thought of spreading the gospel that he ran the other way. But now... In Jonah chapter 3, he gets another chance. The message comes a second time. In verse 3 of chapter 3, Jonah listens to the Lord. He loves the Lord. And so now he's willing to do what God has told him to do. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was sinless. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus challenges people's sin. But who did Jesus go to? And who did Jesus spend time with? I love the church. I love it. I love being around other people who love the Lord. We had a game night last Friday. It was so much fun. We all come together, enjoying each other's company, valuing the same things. All of us really similar and like each other. And if you love the Lord... You'll grow to love his church. When you come to the Lord, you might be rough around the edges. But as time goes on, you become more and more and more like Christ. And we all do. And we start to act and think more and more and more like each other. And it's easy to grow more and more and more in the relationships with other believers. And pretty soon, all of the people in your life follow Jesus. And if all of the people in your life follow Jesus, that is incredibly unchristlike of you. Because who did Jesus spend time with? People who were doing disgusting things. Who did Jesus love? And Jonah goes to the people that he can't stand. He preaches a message of repentance. And the whole city converts to following Jesus. His message is repent. You're going to be judged. It's fire and brimstone, right? Fire and brimstone message. The fire is coming unless you turn and follow the Lord. And we got the kids in the service today. We thought this was a great time to have a family service because all the kids know the message of Jonah. If you open up the children's Bibles... They all have the story of Jonah. They've all got the miracle of Jonah in their little Bibles, which is so cute. But the problem is they put the wrong miracle in there. All of our kids know of Jonah as a guy who got swallowed by a whale. 
The story's not about a whale. That's two sentences in the entire book. The story is about a group of people who humbled themselves to know the Lord and how the Holy Spirit of God reached them and changed their lives forever. And this book is filled with people who go forward and spread God's word and are rejected. Jesus himself went forward with the same message that Jonah had of repent and be saved, and they killed him. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, over and over. These people are rejected and often killed for this message. And yet here, the whole city of Nineveh repents. That's the miracle. Rewrite the kids' Bibles. We put the wrong thing in there. What a wonderful story. And as we go forward and spread the gospel, we should prepare to be rejected. But as we continue to go do it, we're going to find people just like in the city and nation of Nineveh. God loves them and goes to them while they're in their sin, doing disgusting things. Romans chapter 6, 6, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord loves us and he changes us. And his love for us is demonstrated in that while we were doing disgusting things, he died for us. That's a demonstration of his love. And how is your love for people who don't know the Lord? And Jonah's message is of change. It's important to see how God calls his people to spread the gospel. For years and years now, I've heard people say negative things about a fire and brimstone message. But God gives Jonah a fire and brimstone message. For years and years, I've heard people only talk about relational ministry. Don't, don't, spread the, don't say things to really make sure you get to know them well. Wait. Develop a relationship with them. Build up trust over a long period of time. And then when God opens the door, then share the gospel. It's not what I see in the Bible. That's not what I see in God's word. We moved into our last neighborhood, and I think it's a great strategy, but it certainly shouldn't be the strategy that we're following primarily of relational ministry. That should not be our primary strategy. That should be our strategy for sure. But there's a different strategy that God gives all throughout Scripture over and over and over, and that's as soon as you meet somebody, tell them about Jesus. And don't be ashamed. We went in our last neighborhood, and we're building relationships having people over day after day, week after week. Well, I invited some people who loved the Lord over, unbeknownst to me. And I've had, this is my 12th bonfire with the neighborhood. And we sit down and this couple comes over for the first time. She sits down, she goes, do you guys go to church? I love my church. You guys should come to church with me. It's like, no. I want them to come to church with me. 
what do you think I've had all these bonfires for? What are you doing telling them about Jesus the first time you meet him? I've been building relationships. If you're ashamed of the gospel, I think it's a lot easier to build relationships and bide your time and put it off. We don't know how long the people we have with us have. And as I read through the Bible, what I see is God sending people with the expectation that they will be in love with him and that they will share his message immediately. And here Jonah is called to do that. Go to the city. He's only a day's in. Verse four. He's a day into this thing and he starts preaching a message of fire and brimstone and grace and salvation. And the city turns and repents. And his message is offensive. And yet the people follow it. This is what salvation is. A message of the Lord is going to offend unbelievers. And we need to be not different from unbelievers, but we need to be different from the church. Because what I see in the church is a desire to not offend. It's a strategy of passive aggression where we're going to invite you over to our church. We're going to show you that we're just like you. We've got music that's just like what you listen to. We dress just the way you do. We're laid back just like you are. Come on and join us. And let's have a non-offensive sermon. Let's not talk about fire and brimstone. Let's talk about seven ways that you can lead yourself into better financial freedom. Let's talk about six ways that you can have a better marriage. Let's talk about three ways that you can be a better parent. And then we'll try to get you into a small group. And then hopefully we can get you into a small group. And in small group, maybe someone there will have the guts to tell you about your going to hell and your sin and the salvation and grace of God. That is our strategy. And for the most part, what I see is we never get there. And what I see happening in the church is what I see is people coming with a cup of coffee. I'm not anti-coffee. I talked about the prayer latte in a negative way a few days ago. The prayer latte is fantastic. Just shouldn't be our only form of prayer. I had a cup of coffee in the service the other week. It was delicious. It was warm. It was tasty. What I see is people coming with a cup of, cop, cup of coffee to watch an excellent performance. And that is where our worship seems to be headed. And that is not worship of the Lord. People who don't love the Lord come and watch an experience. People who are not saved come and stand there with a cup of coffee and watch a performance. Churches are started by people who say, I want to sing to the Lord. What do we do when we love somebody? We write a song. What is like every song about? Some form of love. If you listen to secular music, it's some form of love, whether more honest or perverse, depending on the person's morals and values and condition before the Lord, but they're all songs of love. When you love something or somebody, you write a song about it. And churches are started by people who say, the Lord has changed my life and what he's done for me, he can do for you. 
And I want to get together and I want to go out. I want to spread the gospel. I want to start a church in a new area. I want to go tell people about Jesus in a new place. I want to sing to the Lord. And over generations, then what you get is corporate churches that know how it's done. And they come in and they spend a bunch of money and they provide you with an American Idol type quality experience. And they get people to come with their cup of coffee and stand and watch and give 1% of their income, automatic giving. And you can go into the church and you can see entire churches standing there. We, we started, the, the Protestant church started because of the empty rituals of the church at the time, hundreds of years ago. And we've just recreated them with other empty rituals. And the message should not be, and I, I've heard people say this so many times, I want a church that I can bring, I can bring my friends to. I want a church I can bring my friends to. And I say, well, what, what does that mean? What, what do you want your friends to experience? Well, I want them to come and fit in. And... Do you want them to know the gospel? Shouldn't you bring your friends to a church where they'll hear the gospel? I want the people who don't know the Lord in my life to come to a church that's going to tell them the message of Jonah. I didn't work this hard to get my friends into church so that they could come and hear a message of seven ways that they can be financially free. I enjoy money as much as the next person, but I'm not passionate about my friends and my family's financial security. I want to invite my friends to a church that's going to tell them that they need to be saved. I want my friends to grow in the Lord. It means I got to bring my friends to a church where they're going to be challenged in their sin, which is separating them from God and leading them to hell. What kind of church do you want to bring your friends to? Here, Jonah's not afraid to preach them the word of God. He's not afraid to offend them. And because he's not afraid to offend them, that's the only way that the Lord can save them. When the man in Mark chapter 10 comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to be saved? Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what you should do? I'm just like you. Why don't you go get your U-Haul, bring all of your stuff, bring it all with you, and we'll come and we'll talk about how you can be more financially secure. We'll teach you how to live your best life today. And Jesus says, you gotta sell it all. He offends the man. He puts them to salvation. The gospel for your friends has to offend them because it has to address their sins and not just sin in general. Oh, I sin in general. You can deceive yourself. Oh, look, I'm a follower of Jesus because I repent of my sin in general, but I embrace the stuff that I actually do. You got to have a message of here's what you're doing that is offending the Lord. Here's what you need to repent of to be saved. And that's going to be offensive to anybody. It's offensive to me. When I read the word of God and he calls out my sin, I don't want to give that up. Jonah's not, offense, not afraid to be offensive. The gospel cannot be spread in a passive, aggressive manner. It's got to be spread in a carefrontational manner. Confronting people with love. And we are similar. I'm very similar to an unbeliever. There's a lot of similarities. I'm not perfect. 
They're not perfect. That's the main similarity. There's an important difference. It might seem like only a few degrees, but it's an important difference. One is, I'm repentant. And I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not repentant and trusting the Lord, that's a difference. And there might be some similarities, but there's massive differences. There are massive differences in my life because of Jesus Christ. One is spiritual freedom. I love the Lord. I feel love in my heart for the Lord. I have desire to follow Jesus. While I still have sin in my life, you wouldn't believe how much more sin I would have in my life if it wasn't for Jesus. You wouldn't believe how much more self-controlled I am because of the Holy Spirit of God. You wouldn't believe how much more humble I am because of the Holy Spirit of God. After I get in a fight with my wife, I sit there and I think, it's, well, I'll start off and I think it's all her fault. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm humbled and I know that I need to repent of all of my impatience, all of my anger, I would never, ever, ever have done that if it wasn't for the Lord. I would just keep doubling down. I'd be a horrible person. And I've still got a long way to go. But the difference is massive. And when you think about it, the difference is actually the greatest difference you can have. Because... I'm on a journey where the Lord is making me more like Jesus. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're actually going the exact opposite way. We're going to end up in the exact opposite points. You can't be further apart. And so the message of the church needs to be, do you want something different? Are you tired of cowardice and fear? It's just constant boogeymen. You turn on the TV, it's just there's people who don't know the Lord. It's just constant boogeymen. You can control people who don't know the Lord very easy, in general, with fear. Because they don't know the Lord. It's harder to control believers with fear because we know Jesus is in control. If you don't know the Lord, what you want is for someone, in general, to fix it for you. Because life is scary. Throughout history, if you look at the history of people, unbelievers, organize themselves in strict authoritarian structures of control, where a small group of government people control everything and make the decisions for everybody. Why do unbelievers do that? Because it's scary. And I need someone who's going to tell me they're going to make it all right. And this is a generalization, of course. There are rugged individualists who are atheists as well. But in general, this is the way people do that. And people who believe in God in general are looking for freedom. They're looking to be free. They're looking to step out and courage and go do something because they know they've got God over them. And they don't need a bunch of people over them to make the decisions for them. I know the Lord and I will follow him myself. Thank you. And I pray that our nation repents. Just like Nineveh is sick and tired of their sin, I pray that our nation is sick and tired of it. That they're tired of the fear. I pray that they repent and turn. 
We've got a family Sunday. I pray that our nation repents of rejecting the family, rejecting marriage, rejecting everything that leads to a family. You think they'd be tired of it. There's all these things that our nation, they gotta be growing tired. And we need to bring them a message of something different. Are you tired of what you're going through? Are you tired of being controlled by your desires? Do you want to be the person that instead you want to be who can control their desires? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is freedom. Come follow the Lord. We're different. Our church is different. Looking at Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. All of the people of Nineveh turn and follow the Lord. And if we go spread the gospel, there's gonna be plenty of people who do that as well. Jonah chapter four, verse one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly as the Lord does not bring judgment. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from the disaster. God, I hate these people. And you save them. Now we might be a lot more wise at masking our disgust for unbelievers than Jonah is. We might never say something like that. But what do our actions show? What do our actions show? Our words might say one thing. But what does our actions reveal about our heart? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I love the Bible because there's almost no story in the Bible where the main character's sin is not revealed. It's so honest to real life. If you were going to write something as a propaganda piece, or if you're going to sit down and write something with the intent of influencing people, you wouldn't write this because every single main character has got massive flaws, just like me and just like you. And here Jonah, he goes and he actually, the city repents and Jonah loves the Lord, but he still doesn't love other people. How miserable. What an interesting chapter to put in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Jonah went out of the city and sat, oh, verse four. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that I might be a shade for his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes. Yes, 
I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not I pity for Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And do you grieve over the loss of stupid things and not the loss of precious and loved people. I have this, it's good for me. It's a 2015 Honda Pilot. It's the best car I've ever owned. I went camping the other day and I jackknifed the trailer and I put a giant dent in the side. I've been more upset about that dent than I have about any of the lost people in my life. They don't keep me awake at night, but I think about that dent three times a day. And I'm bothered by it. Oh, Lord, there's a dent in my car. I have three cars. It's the only one that didn't have a dent. (laughs) I have to repent. There's nothing to explain that other than just ridiculous selfishness and evil. Some Christians might agree with all of this in theory. The Lord loves and seeks the lost. But in practice, we show that we're not on board. And junk mail is disgusting. The iron chic is terrible. But we should never let the things that people do that disgust us keep us from befriending other people. And being like Jesus and having our lives filled with unbelievers. And do you spread the gospel or do you run like Jonah?